The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. I was thinking about that because I recalled that uh, Stephen King said that when he was trying to think of his Lord of the Rings, he wanted to combine it with something. And he got really high on mescaline, if I recall, when he was in college. And he went to go see uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And he had like a, like a spiritual event. And he decided that he wanted to make a fantasy like that. And that's how he wrote uh, uh, The Gunslinger. Greetings, scribes. You're tuned into The Writer Files. I am still your humble host, Kelton Reed, sending you positivity and prolificness during these challenging times. This week, the award-winning speculative fiction and fantasy novelist Robert Jackson Bennett chatted with me about turning genre conventions upside down, how he incorporates critiques on modern society into his writing, and why truth is stranger than fiction. He's the Hugo-nominated author of a handful of critically acclaimed novels, including the Divine Cities Trilogy and the Founders Trilogy. He's received the Edgar Award, Shirley Jackson Award, and the Philip K. Dick Citation of Excellence. has been as shortlisted for the World Fantasy, British Fantasy, and Locus Awards. Bennett posited the idea of industrialized magic in book one of his Founders Trilogy, Foundryside, a time-paced Vulture and Verge best fantasy book, pick of 2018. His second installment in that series is Shorefall, which Kirkus Reviews called Tolkien Meets AI, neatly blending technology, philosophy, and fantasy, and expertly spun yarn by one of the best fantasy writers on the scene today. In this file, Robert Jackson Bennett and I discussed the meaning of time and landmarks of an uncertain future. How to write a best-selling trilogy Rules to world building and staying organized as a fantasy author. Robert's definition of technology and why writing is a space you have to design to be successful. Stay safe and stay sane out there. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. Thank you for joining us. And I have an esteemed guest today popping on the show to drop some wisdom on us. I have author Robert Jackson Bennett. How are you surviving the apocalypse, sir? Uh, One day at a time, though each day feels a little bit like a week. Maybe each week feels like a day. I don't entirely know. (laughs) 
Well, that is a little cryptic. No, but I completely understand um, that feeling because, um, yeah, time kind of expands and contracts in this very strange way right now, doesn't it? Yeah, and I actually find that that's pretty tricky for writing and for project uh, management. It's been kind of like illuminating to realize that to plan out a project, you need to have a really strong sense of uh, uh, forward time. Like time needs to have a sense of structure. Mm. And if next week has no meaning to you really, or has like like less meaning, it's a lot harder to build an incentive to getting the stuff done that you need to get done. Mm. Um, so I find myself like being like, I wrote this week. It's that's good. Whereas previously I would think like I only wrote once today. That's bad. Um, just because for me as a parent with two kids and I watch a baby like occasionally too, there's so many more tasks happening to just maintain the household um, with my wife who works as well. Like the amount of hours has contracted so much and like, like the timeline just feels really fuzzy. So it's really tough for me sometimes to do the writing that I feel like I really need to or want to do just because I like, I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what that looks like anymore. Um, cause I don't have any more like landmarks as to how that works. Hmm. It's kind of weird. Yeah, no, I completely understand. Yeah. I- I'm sure that a lot of writers are feeling that, that kind of push and pull of, you know, again, you know, we're all kind of questioning the future of everything. I mean, not only mm-hmm. like the kind of, you know, how we're all going to exist in the future with this pending mm-hmm. kind of, uh, pandemic mm-hmm. that, that doesn't doesn't necessarily seem to have a beginning or an end, right? And then mm-hmm. on top of that, figuring out you know, how, to, how to be nice enough to ourselves to uh, stay motivated and also not go completely mad. Bonkers, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I can't wait to pick your brain about all things writing and Garachi, um, a good start because that's, that's probably something a lot of writers are going through right now. But um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about kind of your superhero origin story as an author and how you came to be um, a Hugo nominated fantasy writer and kind of, yeah, where you got your origins, what, you know, what, how you found yourself um, as, you know, we were discussing a little bit, um, you describe yourself as a fantasy author, but I know um, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. So maybe, yeah, kind of give us the the cliff's nuts and the kind of the distinction. Sure. I mean, like, um, it was a, probably around high school when I started to really think about writing, uh, the way that that occurred. I'm ashamed to say, well, not ashamed, but I'm definitely not proud to say, uh, how that happened was, um, it was before the third, uh, Warcraft game came out. And, um, there was a forum where you could write fan fiction about all these like races and characters, that had not yet come out yet. Like you had hints about how this stuff worked, but you don't really, but you, you didn't really know what it was. And I wrote some pieces and people really liked them. And I was like, Oh wow, that's awesome. But, um, uh, it was it, looking back and it's kind of interesting, um, because right now my son and I are playing a uh, Diablo and like, I like blizzard. They are, they write, they make fun games, but like the stuff they make is pretty cartoonish and like doofy. <laughs> um, where it's kind of silly and, uh, occasionally racially like, uh, this wouldn't fly today, 
But um, looking back at the at at the writing that I was doing for that back then, um, it was always trying to make it darker and more contemplative and like poetic, which you know is ridiculous. That like someone would be, would be trying to like inject that like into this world. And so, but that was the place where I first started thinking, like, maybe I should write for, like, uh, a living. Um, and so I kind of kept writing on the side. And uh, then in college, I wrote a humorous uh, story about how a friend and I, I, like, we almost burned down our our our, our, um, our apartment by accident. What? And, uh, well, we had spilled co- the, uh, <laughs> let me let me think about this. So it, it, this, um, this apartment had, uh, like electrical sockets in the floors. And at one point in time, someone had spilled Coke in the one that was on the floor. And uh, that caused a circuit to fail. And so me and a friend and uh, two friends came over. Um, and so the lights weren't working. And so me and like one friend said, let's go down and check uh, the breaker box uh, down in the garage. <laughs> and we left our third friend upstairs. So we did, and we looked and we saw that one was switched, uh, was flipped. And so we said, oh, okay, like, let's just uh, flip it back on. So we did, and then we heard, like, faintly, like, in the distance, ah! Oh, God. And then it flipped back off. And we were like, huh, that's weird. And I was like, so did you hear that? And he was like, yeah, let's just flip it again. So we did, and we heard more screaming. And then it, uh, and then it failed again. And then we heard a f- my friend saying from upstairs, like stop f-ing with that. There are flames. Uh, and what had happened pretty much was the second that we hit that switch, like fire just shot out of the socket oh and he had had to dive across the floor and like blow at it. And he oh could hear God. us say, and so he, like he had his face like right in the socket. So he could hear us say uh, downstairs, let's try it again. And he had to like roll away as like flames once again, like spouted up. Anyway, it was like an action movie in <laughs> 20 seconds up there, apparently for him, which we could only hear from above. Um, so, yeah, I wrote about that, and a lot of people thought it was pretty funny. And so I started to try and find some more things in my life that were funny. Uh, but you, but that like that well gets pretty dry pretty quick. Most people's lives are not that funny. Um, <laughs> I so from that I started to try and write books. The first one that I wrote was like a Neil Gaiman impression, like me trying to do like my impression of Neil Gaiman. If I recall, it was four hundred seventy thousand words. I recall that each time that I like sat down to do some editing, the solution was always more words. I wasn't being clear here. Let's add some (laughs) words. It's a really bad instinct. And then once I started to talk to people about publishing, they were like, yeah, most novels, you know, first time novels are about 60 to 100, 150,000 words. We wouldn't think about trying to do more than that. And I was like, oh my God, that's like, like a fraction of what I wrote. And so I threw that in the trash. I tried, didn't try, try to write a, um, a humorous uh, fantasy story because I was like I'm a humor writer, like uh, like I write funny things. But it, but it was about Jack the uh, Jack the Giant Killer in like modern times in Las Vegas. Uh, it was not a very good book, <laughs> but it also um, really wanted to be darker. You just felt like you wanted to be darker, and um, I sent that to a bunch of agents, including the agent that I have now. She read it. She said, no, thanks. She has no, uh, she says to the stage that I don't recall that book, uh, which mm. is probably good or probably says <laughs> something. Uh, then I wrote, um, uh, the book that I feel like all young white men of a certain age write, which is about, you know, one crazy night where you find yourself kind of a thing. The less said about that, the better. Uh, it was like, an, <laughs> a, I think of it like, 
an indie movie sort of a thing. Like that was a big thing back then, if I recall. And so that one went absolutely nowhere. And it wasn't until, um, uh, like I was trying, I was thinking that I should write something that was a fantasy plus something. It has like the scope of a fantasy novel. It has the sense of like rules and uh, uh, mysticism of a fantasy novel. Um, but it would have something else besides beards and swords and dwarves and elves and things like that. Hmm. And, um, I was thinking about that because I recalled that uh, Stephen King said that when he was trying to think of his Lord of the Rings, he wanted to combine it with something. And he got really high on mescaline, if I recall, <laughs> when he was in college and he went to go see uh, the good, the bad and the ugly. And he had mm. like a like a spiritual event. And he decided that he wanted to make a fantasy like that. And that's how he wrote uh, uh, the gunslinger. Hmm. Um, so I was like, I need to think of something like that. And so one night with my friends, we watched uh, uh, The Proposition. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Uh, it's, really uh, well. Nick Cave wrote it. It's an Australian uh, Western. It's a very good movie, but it is incredibly bloody. Uh, but it's a very strange movie. It is a Western on acid sort of a feeling. <laughs> um, and I remember that I read uh, Roger Ebert's review of it, and he said that it made him think of a, a, a Blood Meridian. Yeah. So I read that. And uh, I think like, again, like most young white men, there's a phase where you want to do your impression of Cormac McCarthy. And I kind of did that for my first book, which was uh, uh, Mr. Shivers, which is sort of a fantasy horror story set in the 1930s. That one actually got published. So that was my first, that was my fourth novel uh, got published. Uh, it's very different from all the other things that I've written. Uh, there's nothing else that I've done that's like that. But yeah, that was my first one. And then I, I wrote a series of books about America. They were uh, like fantasy, science fiction, and horror stories that were all about basically the myths and the stories that we tell ourselves like about America and how those like empower us and also uh, are fractious. Hmm. Um, and uh, once I kind of felt like I told all those that I wanted to, I started thinking about writing a real uh, a, a second world a fantasy story and that was how i wrote a, a city of stairs and those books because i i that was just something like it was kind of a jump for me and i also felt that i was getting pegged as a horror writer and hmm. uh horror writers um by horror itself does not seem to be a terribly successful genre at the moment uh and it hasn't for about the past 10 years it feels like um and i was like i really want to change and do something where people will actually buy my stuff and uh i sort of looked at fantasy more as an outlet for that. And it's been pretty successful so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction, and in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. 
Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, that's interesting. And that of course brings us to your latest uh, shortfall, which is the second installment in this um, lauded uh, founders trilogy now. And I'd be super interested here, obviously about the process of working on this trilogy but also, yeah, kind of as you're now working on the third piece of that trilogy, how is the writing of that book being affected by, you know, kind of the things that are happening in the real world? Or is that just not a concern? Or are you done with the manuscript? Oh, uh, no, I am not done. I'm like a third <laughs> of the way done. And it feels like I've been a third of the way done for like a couple months, which is not normal for me. I'm usually a pretty quick writer. Uh, I write I like I write fast. The things that I write don't necessarily stay where they are or stay at all, but I do write them fast. Yeah, it's been kind of interesting because with Foundry Side, it was a very sort of contained and personal story about what it's like to try and be a person in a system that is hostile to you and is trying to change you into something that you're not, mm-hmm. which is something that I feel like a lot of people are operating in these days. Uh, where the uh, status quo doesn't feel great, where some of it feels horrible. Uh, there are people who can change the rules at a whim. And in Foundry Side, the rules can actually change the world. The, um, it's set in a world where there's an art called scribing, which um, means that you can write instructions on an item to have it uh, uh, disobey a reality. Like you can write on an arrow you're not actually like flying to the air. You are, are falling straight down and you have uh, been falling for miles and miles and miles. So when that thing pops out of your crossbow, it goes straight. It doesn't fall or arc and it gains speed. It does not slow down. Um, so there are all sorts of rules like that on a small scale and on a huge scale that work in this world, but it takes a lot of education to do it. Uh, you have to be very smart and you have to have access to lots of resources to do it, which means that those small uh, little workshops that were the first ones to start doing it all got consolidated and bought out or wiped out. And now there's only four trade houses that run the whole art of scribing and own a whole lot of the world and really aren't uh, beholden to, like anyone, uh, a government. Um, yeah. And said, and uh, the the uh, protagonist of this uh, story is uh, uh, Sancha, who is a thief, who is sort of an industrial 
a saboteur who has been scribed herself. It's extremely hard to scribe a living item or like object or, or thing uh, because the body has its own ideas about what it's supposed to be. It's not a thing. But um, she is a former slave and in the plantation where she was enslaved at, she was like experimented on. And now she has a talent or a gift uh, that makes her extremely good at thieving. Um, but really it's about how that, uh, it, I think that a lot of my books uh, uh, recently look at power and about how power warps both those who hold it and those who don't. And in this one, it's really about how there are like, once someone has power, they have the like ability to state what you are, who you are, and to slice up the world like around you and you have no say in it. And how at times uh, the only thing that you can really do is try and retain your sense of self, which is extremely hard to do. Hmm. And the way that that, that book ends, uh, it ends with her having made a whole lot of friends and having like toppled one of the trade houses. And so when I started to write Shorefall, I had this idea that it would be like I felt how the story wanted, like thought that it wanted to be or how I wanted it to be and how the fans probably want it to be which is about a magical uh, 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 like revolution hmm. like like in Russia or in France where uh, the underclasses rise up or there's a, like a political war and pretty quickly I stopped like that didn't sound that like interesting to me because there's really no questions there that I feel like I that that aren't answered like freedom do we like it yes do we like it when people are super rich and powerful and get to do all this horrible stuff? Not so much. No one likes that. <laughs> and so I started thinking more about how this story really should be and how it should feel. And I think that there, that there are some people who wanted me to write a personal story about these people's like ongoing right, like feelings about the fight and the struggle that they were in. But I really didn't feel that way at the end of uh, Foundry Side. These people have... Uh, made up their minds about what they want to do and how they want to shape the world. They they start uh, a, a shortfall without a lot of questions about mm -hmm. the fight that they want to pick up. And so I had to find a way to inject more questions in their heads and ask larger questions. And it took me a while to figure that out mm -hmm. because a lot of it, I mean, like a lot of the plotting was just fun and that it was about a magical startup where all of the like like incumbents uh, uh, were trying to crush them. That's a fun idea. But it's not a satisfying idea on the scale that it should have been. Because again, it doesn't ask questions that are that interesting. So instead, the more I thought about it was was that this has been like this is the like cycle of humanity in which there is a civilization that shares power with all, with a lot of its people, not all of it, but a lot of its people. It, it uh, flourishes because they all like invest in uh, one another. At some point in time, things shift and more of those investments and the wealth and the value goes towards a handful of people until it's a very small handful of people. Things get out of balance and then you've got a revolution and then you've got the fall of Rome. And it seems like that's sort of the cycle that we often walk in. And so... I wanted to have someone come into uh, the cast of characters and say to them, listen, you think you're going to fix this, but there is no fixing this. We're broken. You are not thinking on a scale 
large enough about your fix. We have to break things more to get the fix that we really need. And that was when I had the idea of having Icrisides, who is the main uh, villain of Shorefall, sort of be this person who has been alive for 4,000 years and has tried to make uh, the uh, human species more thoughtful, better, and to really, like his main thing is to stop oppressing, stop enslaving each other, be good to one another. I just want you to be nice. And, they, hmm. and we just can't do it. And he's sick and tired of it. And he has some really big uh, uh, fixes in mind. And he's come to their uh, like city to finally fix his great works. And that, lead, and that led to a lot more questions that I didn't know the answer to, which is, what I, which is the place that I always want to go to. I, like, I want to have things to think about that I'm unsure about. And it really comes down to a question of, is there a way for us to manage ourselves? If so, what does that look like? Or should we not really, or like, is a civilization worth it? Because that's a question that I see cropping up every once in a while, nowadays, uh, more than, off, uh, than most, mm-hmm. which is this idea of like, is humanity worth it? Should we have a civilization? Should we have democracy? Should we have capitalism? Should we have an economy? Is this stuff worth it? And I wanted to have these two things pop up where they have to think to themselves, is there a way to keep this and keep it good? And if so, what does that ask of us? Like, how should we change to make that happen? Yeah, it doesn't sound like you've really put much thought into it. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't want to, but then it did. <laughs> That's and, cool. And yeah. it's uh, uh, like I'm writing the third one now. And I always like to write the third one the most. That's my favorite one to write because the characters are older, they're wiser, they're a bit more uh, beat up, and they know the world like the audience uh, knows the world. So all that hard stuff's been done. And uh, I don't know, there's something about it where they are more uh, uh, reflective and more like, like, like wistful. And one of my favorite things to do in stories is to have the, uh, a previous part of the story come back as an echo. And in the third one, that's where a lot of things start to echo. And that's always my favorite bit. And, you know, it's a little bit weird since in this one, the question shifts more towards how are we going to make it? Are we going to make it as a species, as a society? Um, and they are living in a state of like high like emergency. I can't talk more about that than that because <laughs> a I have uh, I don't want to do spoilers and b the book is not finished. <laughs> but it is kind of weird to write this in a pandemic because these are people yeah. who are trapped indoors a lot and are worried about threats outside a whole, whole lot and don't really know what it's like to live in a a relaxed state. And I don't totally know if this is good for my brain or not to be writing this. <laughs> this is what right. I chose to. I mean, this is my plan. Like two years ago, a year ago. Yeah. And then this had to happen. One thing I am thankful for is that one of the plot ideas that I thought up for sure fall and then tossed out was uh, 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 the idea of a plague. Pretty happy that I didn't do that. Um, mm. Since I don't, I think the one thing people don't want to read about now is more plague stuff. Sure. But yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I like to write the third one. I'm taking my time with it. That's what I tell myself. This is this one. I'm going to take my time on and make sure that I'm catching all the pieces that need to be caught. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's obviously rec- the, the trilogy thus far has received quite a bit of praise and congratulations on the successes. It's really, really 
impressive to see. And of course, uh, the third installment will be eagerly awaited and embraced uh, to kind of, however, however it ends, obviously, mm-hmm. um, we don't know, not, and you don't even know, but, but it's interesting to think about this, uh, yeah, plotting that obviously you've been thinking about deeply and for quite some time. And now, um, yeah, you, you can't help but be kind of um, influenced a little bit just by what's happening in, in the real world as, as so many great, uh, you know, science fiction fantasy authors of yore have, have also done. And, you know, and it sounds like there's a little bit of a critique of, of, you know, our modern society. And, and obviously that's hard to, hard to miss there, but, um, yeah, congrats on the work. Thank you. Yeah. It, it has been interesting in that a lot of people kind of bring to it what they want to, to see. Um, like a lot of people have said that it is a critique of capitalism, but it really isn't like literally capitalist because like capitalism is a pretty recent thing. Um, in this world, like they don't exactly have like market rates or market prices. They don't really have a market. There's a guy mm-hmm. with what's like a big sword who says, I want your stuff. And people say, okay, um, that is not capitalism. Um, there is, uh, you know, like an idea of wealth and trying to capture wealth and trying to plunder and steal that it's like, that also is not uh, capitalism. Um, and I think that people, you know, when, when they think about the current moment, they need to have sort of a broader concept of what's going on. Like I look at Rome a lot because they're like, they wrote uh, down like all the things that were happening. So we know uh, like, like how things came down. Um, but really what it was, was just wealth and power as opposed to a, like a style or a structure or a philosophy or like any of that. The more powerful you become, it seems like, the less those terms mean anything. And I think that that's the sort of like thinking that we need to apply to our current moment. And that's what the book asks too in Shorefall, which is, you know, like there's, there's words for this. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of words for this, and they don't really mean anything. It just means power. It means that someone has the power to make someone else do something that they don't want to do, to make lots of people do something that they don't want to do. And if you're really powerful, then they don't even know that, that they don't want to do it. Um, and so if trying to look at how to manage that is, I think, sort of the thrust of shortfall. But I'm, I'm not sure, but I don't think I solved all of humanity's problems in that one. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of moving on to uh, your creative process and, and, you know, kind of in general, how you, how you approach the writing process for a project as big as this. I'm sure that you've been through uh, or, you know, have been utilizing some organizational pieces to keep all of the, you know, and I do often ask fictionists, you know, like how they stay organized, how they keep the world and the characters and the rules uh you know do you have a bible somewhere that you crack open and are like oh yeah this is uh, a rule from book you know one that we have to refer back to or is that just something you keep locked in your in your brain what's the inside of your brain look like robert <laughs> uh that is a really good question right now um so for uh, uh, the divine cities uh i did have a bible 
I had a timeline um, that stretched back like several centuries. Mm. And the reason for that was that like the main character was a, a historian who quoted a lot of history. Uh, and there was also a like historian that she knew and loved who died, who knew even more than her and his quotes run throughout the book. Um, and, and the reason why I did that was I need to have all those dates down because that, that series is really about history and how it affects us and how we've, we frequently don't really know what our history is. We have hints and pieces that we then use to construct the reasoning for what we want to do in the moment. We use like history as we would use paint to create the self image that we desire. Uh, but I had to suggest all of this giant history just off the page and nothing does that better than some dates that sound super real. And so I had to keep this like running thread of history throughout the, the series. And that did come in super handy because when I was uh, just starting to write book two, I had to do the copy edits for book one. And I noted that the main character in book two was a veteran of a war. And when I looked at the timeline, I was like, this war occurred 30 years before she was born. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. And so then I looked at book one and I was like, did I ever cite the date of this war? Did I ever express in writing when this war occurred? And no, I did not. So I just went into my little like Bible and changed the date there. So that's a good way to keep things honest. Uh, with Foundry side, I haven't done that as much. I haven't kept a Bible as much. And there are a couple reasons for that. One of which is that although there is history in Foundry side and Shorefall, it's either extremely old or 70 years old. There is no light in between uh, because in a foundry side of a city of Devon really found out about scribing, how to really use scribing about 70 years ago. And that's when things exploded and they all took off. And the protagonist is also not someone who knows a great deal about this history or about scribing. She's a thief. She can barely read. Um, so she's not going to have all those dates in her head. As well as in Foundryside and Shorefall, these books are very much about the future. It's about using the tools that we invent now to create the world we want to see tomorrow. And because it is a book really about technology and about the like innovations we have and how they shape us and how uh, we use them and they use us as well. And uh, I think a lot of people think of it in terms of software, but technology is all kinds of things. Like a road is technology. We don't think of it as such, but Rome, of course, you know, they like they like existed on a foundation of roads. So yes. And because it's so forward facing, there's a lot less looking backwards. Uh, because these people invent tools and practices that completely uh, reshape and like alter the way things were done before. Um, but increasingly in book three, all that is uh, 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 starting to catch up with them. There's this idea that we can always like invent our way out of our problems. And in book three, they're slowly starting to be able to like realize maybe we can't, maybe like the solution has to be elsewhere. Hmm. Um, but because of that, yeah, there's less of a Bible in my brain 
with all this stuff. Also, the <laughs> other stories tend to take place on a much smaller time scale with stairs and the rest. They were weeks, if not months, like occasionally. Boundary mm-hmm. side, I think, takes place in about three days. Shorefall, I think, takes place in four days. And the third one will, will probably take place like over the course of about two to three weeks. But uh, which speaks to, you know, that it's moving a little bit slower. It's more uh, 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 reflective. But they are faster stories because stuff starts exploding pretty quick. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, well, the inside of your brain sounds a little busy. Uh, so how does, how does Robert Jackson Bennett unwind at the end of a, a writing day? How do you unplug? <laughs> how do I unplug? I don't know. I mean, like, um, I think that, that, you know, I'm not that different from most people and that, you know, time's short. I am, you know, trying to like help out with the family and help out the household and things like that. So the unplug idea, I mean, usually it's just sitting around and watching TV or, uh, I watch old movies a lot with my wife. We are uh, uh, subscribers of the uh, uh, Criterion channel. It's mm-hmm. excellent. Highly recommend it. It's a lot better than Netflix. And really just kind of reading nonfiction a lot. I find that these days I read nonfiction more than I do uh, fiction uh, because mm-hmm. nonfiction doesn't have to be uh, believable. And it lets you, it makes you aware of how insane the world can be. Uh, <laughs> right. So it lets you know, like, yeah, you can get away with that. If you do it this way, you can totally get away with that. Um, so that, and that's very helpful for someone who's always trying to, you know, do crazier and crazier stuff each time. Yeah. I was going to ask you, um, if you had some books sitting on your nightstand right now and, and, uh, that you were enjoying or kind of coming back to you, but yeah, that, that is interesting. I think fiction authors often turn to nonfiction a, cause they, you know, they don't want to be influenced by other people's work. Mm-hmm. But also because of uh, the reason you just stated. But do you have a couple that you're enjoying right now? Uh, right now, I'm reading uh, "The Splendid and the Vile," uh, which is about Churchill before uh, Pearl Harbor. I feel like the world is reading a lot of Churchill stuff right now. Lots of hmm. Second World War. I don't entirely know why that is, but maybe we are uh, responding to what's happening now. I don't know. Yeah. Previous to that, I read. Uh, I think it was called Imperial Twilight, which um, is about uh, the Opium Wars Mm -hmm. and um, the fall of the uh, Chinese emperor, which is a little bit uh, distressing to read because basically it's about how this great empire just grew so corrupt that it couldn't do pretty much anything and became incredibly uh, susceptible to new powers. And that basically... Uh, uh, ruined them for a for a century and the book kind of suggests that once you get too corrupt there really is no going back you can't stop it there's no way to like you know snap your fingers or do like reforms because the reforms have to be processed through institutions that are corrupt that do not want to see those uh, uh, reforms processed so that was kind of a downer to read um <laughs> uh, so i don't know if that's a recommendation or not but it is very insightful okay fascinating so, uh, yeah, before we wrap up here with any advice you have to your fellow scribes on how to stay motivated, 
Uh, let's see. Do you have, uh, you want to choose an author from any era to take, um, on an all expense paid dinner to your favorite restaurant in the world? Who would it be? And where would you take them? Oh man, I don't know. Um, that is a really good question. I actually find that most writers are pretty boring because they're so <laughs> like inwardly focused. Yeah. I've heard uh, this before. <laughs> singing and dancing, and look at me kind of people. What they basically are is a camera. Like their head is like recording all the things that are happening to them. And their mind is not with you really. Um, so I don't think that writers themselves are particularly fascinating people to hang out with. Uh, but maybe a uh, Burgess Meredith would be pretty fun. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Clockwork Orange. That's yeah. the right name, right? I'm not, I'm not insane, right? Um, uh, is it Burgess Meredith? Anthony Burgess? No, Anthony sorry. Burgess. There we go. Yeah. Burgess okay. Meredith. I don't, I don't know, know who that is. I have no idea. That's <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, I do recall that he used to compose uh, symphonies in his off time and would drink about three bottles of gin a day. Seems like he'd be pretty cool to, uh, to, <laughs> okay. to hang Burgess out with, Meredith, I guess. Yeah. Burgess Meredith, you could bring along was an actor, director, producer, and writer. Uh, He's, yeah, so he's a a classic actor. Yeah, you probably- I think that's a name that I've seen a lot recently. I knew there was a Burgess somewhere. Well, Um, he's best known as, I think, coach in Rocky, maybe, or- Oh, yeah, and the Penguin. There you go. He was the Penguin, too. Yep, yep. Yeah. Classic, classic American actor. He can come, too, sure. If he dressed like the Penguin, that would be a great time. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm sorry, where, where would you take uh, Anthony Burgess? Uh, I guess Seal, but not right now. Uh, I think that, that is a, I think that, you know, they're like from the things that I've read about it, that um, basically there seems to be like a 10 to 20 year lag on which cities and places are the coolest to go and visit. Um, and uh, like right now, a lot of people are still focused on Japan and they really haven't learned a lot about Korea. I think that Korea is probably going to be the next hot spot to come to for a really cool culture and city mm-hmm. and place. And I think probably after the pandemic recedes, if it ever does, if it's ever uh, manageable. I think that America is going to start to slowly look at look at Korea more, you know, kind of like how we looked at Japan in the eighties, uh, where it was this incredibly cool culture that we think might actually uh, uh, supersede us in a lot of ways and one that we might want to like like mimic mm-hmm. um, because they've obviously been so much more uh, successful uh, 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 with the virus and also culturally I think that they're becoming much more uh, uh, successful and uh, uh, predominant with like uh, K-pop and obviously uh, uh, winning uh, Best Picture and I think that Japan is kind of not on the decline, but maybe on stagnation because of the way that they are struggling uh, with the virus as well. And obviously, I don't think that anybody really wants to look at China at the moment as a source of enlightenment. There's been a lot of cooling around that. And so I think that as the 21st uh, century becomes clearly more of uh, of the Asian uh, century, the like nation to follow, I think, is more or less going to be Korea, I think. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that... that uh... Makes a lot of sense. Good, because I said it fast. I was like, <laughs> it, like does this make it? Like, I, yeah, I'm shooting from the hip here, baby. This is some geopolitical nonsense coming out of the back of my brain. No. So. They, do, they do seem to be at the forefront of a lot of um, 
industries and, and technologies. And yeah, you do, we are seeing, as you mentioned, you know, Japan was kind of that uh, progenitor of, uh, you know, what, what you would think of as kind of the future, a model of like what we think of as the future. Whereas, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Korea seems to be popping up in, in uh, the news more and more often, as you mentioned, you know, especially with yeah. the, with their, uh, gosh, they just seem terribly innovative. So, yeah. And also like, I mean, I don't know about you, but in the past five years, I've eaten a lot of, uh, kimchi, mm. which, you know, mm-hmm. is, you know, you don't realize how these <laughs> things are, are popping up more and more. And then suddenly you're like, let's go to Korea. Be cool. <laughs> um, yes. Well, before we wrap with your final pearl of wisdom, of course, I will mention the book one more time. I'll put all the links in the show notes. Shorefall is the awe-inspiring second installment of the Founders Trilogy and uh, as the magical revolution remakes a city and ancient evil is awakened in this brilliant new novel from Hugo-nominated author Foundryside. And I thought uh, there was a very nice quote from Kirkus Reviews that called it Tolkien meets AI, a busy action-packed sequel, neatly blending technology, philosophy, and fantasy. Uh, spun by one of the best fantasy writers on the scene today. Congrats, man. That's that's a high praise. Cool. Thank you. Yep. I'm always <laughs> happy to hear stuff like that. Yeah, man. Um, so, uh, yeah, your final uh, piece of wisdom for fellow scribes out there who might be struggling. And, you know, a lot of us are struggling right now, but, you know, maybe just kind of how to keep going, how to uh, keep the ink flowing. Um, the way that I think about writing to help me get like motivated is to think of it as a space that you have to uh, design. And, um, one of the things that I like to tell people is to think of, an a, like a good, like action movie where the action isn't, is exciting. Odds are what it does right before all those action scenes is it really lets uh, 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 the audience know about the space where the action is going to happen. So that as uh, the action is happening, uh, the audience knows the stakes, the threats, all the turnabouts that are happening before they actually happen because they've seen that part of the floor is weak. They know that that thing is hanging from a chain. They know that that box is full of hammers or like whatever. So as the action unfolds throughout this space, like the audience has a handhold for the action and feels like anchored in place as it unfolds around them. And I think, and like there are films that don't have that. Uh, the ones that I like to cite is uh, uh, Christopher uh, uh, Nolan, who is a good uh, filmmaker, but his action scenes are sort of a fog of men with guns in an <laughs> urban environment where you have no idea where they are or like really what the stakes are. It's just kind of ongoing. Um, and yeah. um, like because of that, it lands less. So you really need to think about the space and making it easy and uh, 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 signaling a, a light to the audience what matters before the thing before these things start to happen. And once you start to like apply that space to your action scenes, like that also works to prose, to character, um, to theme. Even if you think about it as a space that has been uh, uh, designed, and I like that word a lot, a uh, uh, design because. Mm-hmm. Something that has been created is something, you know, create lacks meaning. But if it has been designed, then that implies that it has been made for the use of like another human being whom you have not met. You do not know this person, but you have created a use for them, uh, uh, well, like a tool for them to use somehow. 
Um, how do you make it easy on them? How do you make it clear to them that they know how to use this thing? Uh, and how do you make it feel like satisfying or delightful? Um, that's a really a different level of creation than just the word create or write. So when I sit down and think about stories, I think of them about trying to like design them. And that's a lot more fun than looking at a blank page. And so that gets me going. Ah, I like that a lot. Well, thanks for dropping the wisdom today, Robert. And um, stay safe out there in the uh, in the wilds of Texas, I believe you are in. Well, yeah. that was awkwardly worded. Um, no. But <laughs> stay Pretty safe. Wild out there. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Of course, I will link to robertjacksonbennett.com. You can find um, lots more there from Robert. And uh, he is on Twitter. I will link to that in the show notes. Is there anywhere else you want to point listeners before we sign off? Nope. If you find me at some other platform, don't get excited. I'm not going to do anything cool there. (laughs) All right. Perfect way to end. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Sure. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.